It's been an incredible morning, guys, and I am very excited to continue our teaching series uh, called Rooted. For the 140 people that have signed up on Wednesday nights, thank you. Uh, this week, week three, it comes to the topic of suffering. Now, before you, you know, most of the time when you hear that, you're like, oh man, why did I come to church today? It's going to be a real pick me up. Maybe go to lunch feeling good, talking about my suffering. I am so passionate about what I'm about to share. And so I I hope that God can just use this moment and the scripture that we're going to read. And inevitably, when we bring up the topic of suffering, most people jump to, why does God allow suffering? Right? If he is omnipotent, if he is all good, like, why does he allow people to suffer? And while I will address that a little bit, I want to take the discussion further this morning, but I want to give you some resources if you have those deeper questions. And the questions of why are always pretty deep. There's a great book by Ravi Zacharias and Vince Vitale uh, called Why Suffering. I was listening to an audio book this last week. I'll tell you, it's a fantastic book. I encourage you, check it out. It is, they do have the audio book so you can listen to it uh, if you've got some deeper questions. That question also brings you to uh, the problem of evil. Why does God allow evil to exist in the first place from the the Garden of Eden on? And uh, another great book, I don't love his views of atonement, but uh, N.T. Wright has a great little book on evil and the justice of God. I encourage you to check that out. It's not a long read, and it's really uh, well written. But here's what I want to talk about. We could talk about all of the great apologetics and and give you a polemic of why God allows suffering. But I instead want to take it a step further and talk this morning, if you are Christian, how God could actually use your suffering to impact others. I told you Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. We're ready to study God's word together at this service Amen. Here we go. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance my career. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. To serve to advance my portfolio. To serve to advance my popularity with my family and friends. This suffering has really served to advance my education. It's really served to advance my kids' sports career. Uh, here's, here's what Paul's suffering here. It actually served to advance the gospel, which simply means the good news of Jesus. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. This morning, as we talk about suffering, uh, we are not going to make light of it. There are some of us in the room, you have gone through some horrible experiences in your life. Some of you are at a stage of life where you've got family members and friends who are dying, who are sick, who are in the hospital. We have people in our congregation, multiple people going through bouts of cancer. We got people praying that we're praying for them. We're going to pray for you this morning. I want to let you know whenever we take communion, uh, our prayer ministry would love to have you come over and pray for any physical ailments you have. We'll anoint you with oil according to James chapter 5. For some of you that are here this morning, you got a family member or friend who's sick, we'd love to pray for them. Suffering is real. 100% of us will suffer at some point in our life. There's no doubt about it. And it seems the older we get, the more it can happen. 
See, in this passage that Paul is writing, many scholars believe that he's in jail, possibly in ankle-deep raw sewage, in a first-century jail. He's chained up, and he is writing to a church in Philippi that got started because of a dream God gave him, and he went to the city, told some people about Jesus, and this one woman, Lydia, came to faith. She was a wealthy woman. She opened up her home to the community to start a church there. And the gospel spread throughout the city of Philippi. When Paul writes to Philippi, it's always with great joy because of their partnership in the gospel. Verse 6 in chapter 1. And so as we go through the book of Philippians here at the second half of chapter 1, he begins to describe what he's going through. You see, they sent this guy, Epaphroditus, to the prison to give him um, some basic needs, food, clothing, money to meet his needs while he's in jail. And so he writes back and tells them of his condition. And I just want you to picture yourself writing this. He talked about how this is being used to serve to advance the gospel. Verse 14, you think you could write this? No way. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Look down to verse 18 in the second half of it. It says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me read that again. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now don't confuse that somehow Paul is suicidal here. He is by no means suicidal. Instead, he is making a declaration of his perspective of life. Verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on my account. He writes this from a prison cell chained up. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's not suicidal. He is so clearly drawn to an eternal perspective of this life. And it's with that perspective that if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that the way we view suffering changes. You see, if we really believe as Christians that Jesus gave his life on a cross so that you could know God and live with him eternally, that he rose from the grave that one day you will spend eternity with God, that one day Jesus will return and he will set the world right and we will live in a new heaven and a new earth with God forever. That perspective, an eternal perspective of life, changes the way that we view suffering. It doesn't make light of it. It doesn't say that we don't have pain. In fact, the psalmist cries out repeatedly to God. He gets angry with God. But it means that we don't suffer for no purpose, that God can use the most horrendous parts of our lives for something beautiful. And that's at the heart of what I want to get to. You see, it's one thing to suffer in this lifetime. It's another thing to suffer for Christ. Have you today in the 21st century, have you suffered for Christ in your life? 
See, the Bible in the Old Testament and the New is full of stories of people who sacrificed things in their life because they believed their life with God was more important than their temporal joy. It goes right in the face of anything Frederick Nietzsche ever talked about. That because of the death of God, that now we make our own reality, live for the moment, get whatever pleasure you can because it's all meaningless. I want to tell you from a Christian perspective, the nihilists were wrong. That God is actually speaking to the hearts of believers to encourage us that our perspective of life and death changes, and that means our perspective of suffering changes. Noah, how many of you want to take all the time to be belittled by society, to build a humongous boat and stuff a bunch of animals, and then live for hundreds of days with your your kids and your in-laws on it? That's suffering, Like, how many of you want the story of Moses that he's, like, got to run because fear for his life out to the wilderness where he lives all those years, where he encounters God and turns Charlton Heston's hair white, and then he is to go back to Egypt and tell them to let his hundreds of thousands of family members go, only to have to count on God showing up. And how is he rewarded? Well, he never gets to even see the promised land. Like sacrifice and suffering is something you see both in the Old Testament and New Testament. God doesn't want bad things to happen to you. I believe that. I believe that as you follow God, he blesses you in your life. But that blessing is not always financially. It's not always in material possessions or the way that you desire him to bless you. God doesn't want bad things to happen to you, but he may have you suffer for his cause. And if you forget everything else this morning, here's the big idea I want you to remember, that too many Christians see suffering as a sign of godlessness rather than the sign of godliness. Let me say it one more time. Too many Christians see suffering as a sign of the godless rather than the godly. Will you pray with me? God, as we dive into this issue of suffering and how you might use the the scary things of this life for something beautiful and glorious. We pray you'd speak right to our souls. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here. We sang about it earlier, and there are some of us that desperately need to hear from you this morning. We're going through very difficult times. We have big questions, and we desire to encounter you. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said. Amen. Do we have any uh, rock climbers in the room? Any of you like to, to rock climb? Oh, yeah, Eric, I know that's not true, but some of you really do rock climb. Um, go over to Hoosier Heights or some of the local climbing places. Any spelunkers out there? Any of you like to, you know what spelunking is and you like to do it? Like two people. Okay, that's great. It's like cave diving, right? You go back into a cave. Uh, here, here is the thing. I used to, uh, in my early 20s, I worked at a Christian sports camp down in Missouri. We used to take wilderness trips with high school students in the middle of nowhere in northern Arkansas. And we, yeah, I know it wasn't bright, but we would literally, like my wife would tell you, I can't make a fire. I would not survive on my own. And they let me lead high school students out into the wilderness. But while we were out there, we would go rock climbing. We would go into caves and we would spelunk and we would uh, rappel and do other incredible outdoor activities. So you heard this before, but I was in this cave and I had the bright idea, we had a little downtime, that I would lead some people back into this cave without a flashlight. I don't know if you knew this, but I did not realize that caves are dark. Like, like they're really dark. And I got back in there 
And I got these high school students, the other co-counselors in the back, and we start going along and could not see where to go anymore. And so this was a few years ago, and they used to make these things called watches. And we wear them, and they had this little button that was like an indiglo. You remember that, any of you? Some of you still got it like, the kids are like, is that like an iWatch? Is that what, is that what you're talking about? No, this was like $1.99 at Walmart. And as I walk back, I pushed the button so I could see where we were going by the Indiglo watch. Now that worked until the cave began to come down to a V and you couldn't just walk along the bottom of the floor anymore. We thought, man, we're brave and adventurous. And we started putting our hands and feet onto the walls and kept going back for another 10 or 15 minutes, except now I couldn't reach the watch. So we were in pitch darkness. I, after we got so far back in there, I could barely keep my hands and feet on the wall. And I was in the lead there, which was not good. And I began to try and feel the floor below me like this. And I, I could not find it. Some of you see where this is going. And so I told uh, my friend Wes Kendall in the back, hey, Go out of the cave and go get a flashlight because I can't feel the floor anymore. While he is gone, I began to hear it. Sounds. And they weren't coming from in front of me. And they weren't coming from behind me. And they sure weren't coming from above me. You guessed it. They were coming from below me. And it got louder and louder. And then I saw it. A light shining from underneath me, and below was about 20 high school students who had found a lower cave, had come through, and were now shining lights up at me as I'm spread eagle <laughs> over a 40-foot drop to a cavern below me. I'm telling you guys, I think I'm a brave person, but I was paralyzed in fear. You been there? And see, some of us, when it comes to our lives, we get in this position, in this place, where we don't know how we got here or why we're here. God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I was in the darkness, and now I see, man, I got cancer. Now I see that my loved one is hurting. Why did you allow that car accident to happen? Why did you allow this relationship to fall apart? And most of us, we spend the rest of our lives there angry, fearful, angry not just with people, with ourselves, with God. And we never face or see anything happen with that. I don't make light of it. Most of you guys know the story of us losing our son as we were planting a church. It is the hardest thing to go through real suffering in this lifetime. And some of you have seen some of the most treacherous and heinous things that if you told the stories this morning, some people in the room wouldn't even be able to believe it. I get it. I get the fear. I get, I get the anger. That's why God allows us to cry out to him, to scream to him. But what I want to show you very quickly through Philippians chapter 1 is that while Paul is in a prison cell in Rome, and raw sewage possibly, definitely chained up, he can write with pure joy to this community. He can live to advance the gospel. And he can allow God to use his chains for something glorious. If you're taking notes, come quickly. Because what I want to show you this morning is that Paul's suffering actually causes courage. 
both to him and to others. The first point I'd like to make is that it gave him courage to share the good news of Jesus. In verse 14, it said, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He doesn't just proclaim the good news to people because they go, here is a guy chained up, destitute. He's just fighting to survive. And he's telling us about the good news of Jesus. It was so inspiring for them to see his suffering and for him to still cry out and to glorify God that it didn't just lead them to the Lord. It said that those people who got led to the Lord, they start spreading the good news to other people. Guys, I got to tell you about this thing. You can be in a prison cell and going to be dying, starving to death, and you're still praising God because you know you're not alone. Your identity is not found in an outcome. You're living for more than just this temporal reality and the joy you can find. That is a different perspective of life. How this morning can God use your suffering to impact others? My wife, Lisa, as uh, we moved here to plant the church, I won't spend much time on this because most of you know the story, but six months um, before our son's birth, we found out he had a genetic disorder and he was not to live full term. And we began to pray and pray and pray. And he was born and we saw some incredible things happen. And two weeks after his birth, he died. He was born four years to the date that God started a church and we purchased this building on the very day that of my son's birth four years earlier. And I just want to tell you that the provision of God is, is real. And I would not nothing more than to have my son back give up this building. But God used my wife in a difficult, dark place. Moms, you got to identify with this. She began to share her struggles online. Over a half a million people viewed this blog. And she saw some incredible things happen from a Wiccan uh, witch who found us online. She ended up not aborting her son and named him Jackson after our son. We saw countless people surrender their life to Jesus, including in other countries around the world that were reading her blog. We had an American soldier send us a flag from Afghanistan because he had rededicated his life to Jesus because of hearing and reading the story. That God can use our suffering. How could he use yours? Few of us have the courage to actually live that out. I know I couldn't do what my wife did. You see the word there in verse 20, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, it had said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. Sufficient courage. I want you to underline and circle that or highlight it on your iPad. Sufficient courage. The word courage there is the Greek word in the New Testament, parisia. It means courage or boldness. A few weeks ago, we studied Acts chapter 4 and how the, the early disciples lived with great boldness and it got themselves thrown into jail. And when they got out of jail, they went back and prayed for more boldness. It's the word parisia. God, give us more courage, more boldness to live our faith out. It's the same word that Paul uses here in Philippians 1.20 to describe what this has given him. His suffering actually gives him sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The second point, if you're taking notes, that you'll notice his suffering gives Paul the courage to face life and death. Whether by life or by death. Give me the Parisia, God, to face this with courage and boldness. 
You see, in those following verses, in verse 21, it says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's crazy. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and to be with Christ, Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Why does God have you here? Like, not just here today. Like, why does God still have you alive? You see, Paul here, he can face the worst things. He is never suicidal. But he is always about eternity more than he is about the temporal things he's experiencing. That's crazy. Like, Paul has this intense life that until he calls him home, he is still here for a reason. This intense guy seems to think differently about life and death than most of us ever do. He knows he's here for a reason. Very few of us as devoted followers of Jesus can actually face difficult things in our life like losing our home or going through a divorce or having a family member die of cancer or facing a surgery that's coming or a middle-aged crisis and be okay. Yet Paul can face all those things because of the Parisia of God. He is able to face both life and death with great boldness. How? How can he do that? I need uh, Eric and Jillian Maitland. Will you welcome them wherever they're at? Eric and Jillian to come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anybody notice this rope as you walked in? Jillian, I don't know if you want to stand back there by the door. Um, <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Show everybody that it in. Can you do any spins or anything, Eric? Let's see. He's got his wheelies on. Okay, let's see it. I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> okay, here's what I need you to do. Stand right over here real quick. I want you to hold this thing up. Jillian, you hold it up right there. If you saw this rope and you did not trip on it on the way in, great. With our entrance, thanks you. But hold it up nice and high. Hold it up nice and high. This, this, uh, this line this morning, it goes all the way out, all the way to the lobby, all through this building. And I want you, when you see it, to have that represent in your mind, this is an eternal perspective, that this line goes from here all the way to the other end of the building. Eternity is a really, really long time. In perspective, your life in this short period of time, at the very end there, Jillian, there is a knot. And at that knot, this one little dot along this very long line represents your short little life. How many of you can see that dot? None of you? One maybe back there? We spend all of our time worrying and panicking and freaking. I hold it, keep holding it up. I keep holding it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, you're not, we put you to work. This is why we pay you. <laughs> you live so much. We live so much for that one little dot. What would it look like in your life to begin to live for the line and not just the dot? To think that your life has a whole lot more meaning and purpose than the little amount of time we get on this planet. That it seems like it's just here one day and gone the next. Would you agree? And suffering is real. It is a part of this life. The brokenness that evil brought into the world. God does not love that. He does not desire that for you. But he will use the brokenness and the suffering and the shame that you have on this little dot of the life to affect all of human history and eternity. And it takes an eternal perspective to say that I will have the courage, the parisia of God, to have a different perspective of life and death. Will you thank Eric and Jillian for doing such a wonderful job? 
I take back all the mean things I've said about Eric, most of them. <laughs> that is so cool, dude. Hey, true story, I tried those on once and tried to do it. I can't do it. It's really, really hard. Uh, Eric is like a young child that can do those sorts of things. See, most of us think, and you've heard this before, that Christians, they have such an eternal perspective that they're so focused on heaven, they do no earthly good. And I want to tell you that that is not the Christian life lived out well. The eternal perspective causes you to live this life out well. John Piper writes this, History has shown that those who have a hope of heaven are far more likely than their agnostic neighbors. Now, we have a number of people here watching online or here live this morning who are atheists or agnostic. Thank you guys for your courage to come out and be a part of our community as you search out the things of God. We love you. He points out that Instead, their agnostic neighbors to willingly make the personal sacrifices necessary to seriously address the horrors and the hopelessness in the world. What he's referring to is that so many of the universities and education systems, so many of the hospitals and the nonprofits around the world are started by people of faith, a lot of times Christians living out the mission of Jesus Christ to help those in need and to share their faith. And it's because they have an eternal perspective that they don't have to suck up all the happiness they can in this life, which is what the media often tells us we need to do. Do whatever makes you happy. Instead, the Christian perspective is this is just a dot on a big line. And what you do with your life now is to sacrifice anything you can to help those in need and to share your faith, to reach people for eternity. You actually are going to impact your communities more by doing that. It's why we say we want people who aren't Christians to miss Mercy Road Church if it never existed anymore because of the good work that God was doing in the community that no one could deny. When we are focused on the line and not the dot, that eternal perspective changes the way we live this life. It gives us the courage to face life and death. Number three, if you are taking notes, the final point I want to make is that it gave Paul the courage to suffer well, verses 27 to 30, whatever happens. And I just got to tell you, as we get into this last part, I am ex- extremely passionate about this. There are some of us here or who couldn't even get the energy or the fear to even come into a, a church that need to hear this this morning, that you are suffering and it makes no sense to you and you wonder why and you're angry Paul was able to be in a prison cell, be chained up, and write this. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in an absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. If we're reading that correctly, that sometimes in life we are actually called to suffer for him. He finishes it with, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. There's this great passage we don't have time to read from Hebrews chapter 11. Many scholars refer to it as the hall of faith. You see these people throughout human history that God used to do incredible things. Noah builds a prehistoric Titanic and stuffs two of every animal on it. 
Moses parts the Red Sea. Joshua makes the sun stand still. Like they prayed, they lived, they sacrificed, and God showed up and did something incredible. And then you get to verse 35 in Hebrews 11 through verse 40, and it talks about the others. And it's not a reference to the TV show Lost from many years ago. It's talking about the others of the faith who you don't even know about, who lived and hid in caves for their faith, destitute, broken. Some of them, it says, sawed in two, even beheaded for the faith. And they received no reward within this lifetime. Why? Because they were not living for the dot. They were living for the line. In fact, for Paul in this instance, he is so adamant about it, he will give his very life for the cause of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, he paves the way for all of Jesus' ministry. He's the opening band, and how is he rewarded for it? He has his head chopped off and served on a, on a platter for a pretentious woman at a party. No reward in this lifetime. You see, when you have eternal perspective, you could be John the Baptist and go, I got to pave the way for all the people who I will celebrate eternally with, live the line with, rather than being so focused on this one little dot. I know that's not normal. I know it's not the way our culture teaches us to live, but it's the perspective you must have if you really believe that Jesus gave his life for you, rose from the grave, and will return to set the world right, and you will live with him eternal. To view life another way is not only unbiblical, you're going to miss the big picture of how God can use your life. Paul writes most of the New Testament from prison. Like, what do you think if we surrendered our suffering to him, what he could do with us? Yet for me, I look at myself in American suburban culture so many times, it's hard for us to sacrifice in the area of our finances or time or our, our house or sacrifice in our dating life or sacrifice in the way that we live our life in the workplace sacrifice even our safety for him into what he might be calling us to do. Yet it's only when you live for the line and not the dot that you actually experience the life that you so desperately want. Too many Christians see suffering as a sign of godlessness rather than godliness. Too many Christians see suffering as a sign of the godless rather than the godly. If we were brave enough, courageous enough to take our suffering and allow this terrible thing, Romans 8 talks a lot about this, this terrible thing, to be used for something incredible and beautiful, you will never regret it. I've never felt more close to God than when my son was dying. Over that six-month period of time, I was fasting like all the time. I was praying. I was connected with God. We were, I would just meet random people. I'd start telling them about Jesus because I was so passionate that this, this life isn't everything, and I don't believe that for my son, and I don't believe it for myself or my family. God, how could you use this? People willing to sacrifice everything so their neighbor could simply understand the love of Christ. That is the depth of love that Jesus had for you while he was willing to suffer for you. We do not serve a God that is not empathetic with our suffering. He was crucified on a cross, not bleeding to death, but suffocating to death in front of everyone that he loved. That was the sacrifice he was willing to make. Some of us here are suffering badly, and the hope of Jesus is that you're never alone. And that God could use the suffering that you're facing for something incredible if you're just willing to surrender it. And you can be honest with him. You can be angry with him. You could cry out to him like the psalmist did. 
but you surrender it to him. And the question I'll close with as we wrap this up in one final illustration is where can God comfort you now? There's a story of this woman named Christine Kane that many of you are probably familiar with. She's preached the gospel to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. She came out with a book recently that's about to be released called Unashamed. And a couple weeks ago, we got to hear her message. It was so powerful. Here was a woman that was born in the poorest district, the poorest zip code of her entire state in Australia. When she was born, she was dropped up to the hospital. She's never had a name. That was, name was just given to her later on. She grew up in the foster care system, and she was of Greek descent, which in Australia made her a minority. She was uh, grown up in the foster care system where four men sexually abused her for 12 years. And she's very uh, open about this repeatedly over a 12-year period, these four men. Most people who would ever face that would spend the rest of their life trying to escape drugs, alcohol, whatever they face. Here's what she says. Not only did she not end up just throwing her life away, later in life, this woman who was a victim in every way, she should have said the rest of her life blaming everyone for what had happened to her. She was, had grown up as a minority. She was in the most poorest neighborhood in her state and the third poorest in the entire country. She never even had a name. She was abused for 12 years. And she said when she encountered Jesus Christ and she realized the power of his death, resurrection, that each and every single one of us, God could take these horrible things and horrendous things of life and we could sit there and maul on it and be angry forever and we can cry out to God. He desires that for us. But if we just surrendered it to him, he could take something horrible and make something beautiful and glorious out of it. And she went on to share this message with women all over the world, hundreds of thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. She started a ministry then in Greece to, uh, sexual, to end sexual slavery that was occurring there with young women. And because of that, it's gone on for eight years now. And as the Syrian refugees are fleeing Syria, Greece is one of the places that they have gone to. And because it's been there long enough and they took the leap of faith to do something everyone told them was impossible, now they are ministering to thousands upon thousands of Syrian uh, refugees in the name of Jesus simply because this woman said, I will not be known as a victim for the rest of my life. I will allow God to use the horrible stuff, and it's horrible. It's disgusting. It's terrible. But God is going to use that for something beautiful and glorious. What could he do with the suffering that you are faced with both now and in your life when you go home and when no one else is here to encourage you? What if God began to take you from somebody that just thought, I'm worthless, I'm meaningless, I'm just always going to be this way, instead said, no, you serve a glorious God who you could be chained up in a prison cell and you could infect the world for all of human history more than most people ever will. Why? Because you actually allow God to use your brokenness rather than hiding in shame from it. Will you pray with me? God, I, I've seen this, man. I, I've seen people who I have been praying for that you are just ministering to them. And it's because of the example you've given us in the Bible, God, that our suffering doesn't have to be meaningless if we surrender it to you. And I know 100% of us in this room have suffered or will suffer. 
And some of us have gone through some very awful things. And this morning, some of us, you have begun to, your Holy Spirit has begun to speak to us, and we want to surrender all of those terrible things to you. But first, some of us were angry, and we just need to cry out to you. And right now, in the quietness of this moment, if you just personally want to cry out to God, the psalmist did it, I encourage you to do so. He can take it. He can handle it. He's a big God. God, we pray you take this terrible stuff and you use it for something beautiful. So maybe you're here this morning, you want to surrender all of that to him. Pray this with me. God, man, I confess that I need you, that you are a good, good father. And I surrender all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my, the dark things in my past and the ways that I'm suffering even now and have in the past and will in the future. And I pray that God, in the short period of time, I could live for the line and not for the dot. And that because of that perspective, you might use, pray this, please, Lord Jesus, use my suffering for your greater purposes. May I get to see the wake of impact you make with the darkness of my life. And then for some of you this morning, as you come here, this may be the morning, whether for the first time or to rededicate your life, you need to surrender not just your suffering, but your life fully to him. I invite you to pray this silently as I pray out loud. God, I confess I need you. Forgive me that I have not lived for you. And so on this morning, May 1st, 2016, because of your death and resurrection, and the power to heal, I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. I'm fully yours. God, you see the people that are praying that right now, and I just pray, God, right now, as with every eye closed and every head bowed, if, if you prayed that, I, I want you to raise your hand for a second. I want to pray something specific, and I did this at the first service, and it was such a cool time. Man, I see you in the back. Praise God for you. Raise it nice and high so I can see you. If you, The, the two people down front, three people down front, th thank you. I'm excited for those four people. Anybody else here at this service? I see you, uh, the three people, oh, four people over to my left. And, and maybe that was for the first time this morning, or maybe it's just you want to begin to live your life fully for Jesus, or maybe you're beginning to understand what it means to follow him. Okay, you put your hands down. I just want you to pray this, though. God, on this morning, these people have surrendered not just part of their lives, but everything to you. They want to find their full identity in you. So that one day, if they live out your gospel fully and they find themselves in a place where they're suffering and sacrificing for you, they know they're going to be okay. And you're going to use that suffering for your greater purposes. God, you've seen these people this morning. May they take the next steps of faith to be impacted by you and be discipled by you. We surrender uh, those, I think it was seven or eight people to you fully, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we give you this morning. And in your name we pray and all God's family together said.